Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we're going to be talking about how service leaders can nurture empowerment among their teams. I'm excited to welcome today to the podcast, Christine Myers, who is the Managing Director of Verity International, and Rick Lash, President of Rick Lash Consulting, who are both co-authors of the book, Once Upon a Leader, Finding the Story at the Heart of Your Leadership. Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you both. So Christine and Rick gave a keynote presentation at um, Field Service Palm Springs this year. And unfortunately, it was on day one and I was delayed coming in. So I missed it. But I heard rumblings of how great it was throughout the next few days. And so I reached out and said, hey, I'm really sorry I missed your presentation. I heard it was great. Can we you know, talk about some of these things on the podcast? So uh, lucky for, for me and for you, um, they agreed to join us. Uh, and we're um, going to have a great chat today. So before we get into everything, can each of you just tell everyone a little bit more about yourselves? Christine? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, gosh, what can I say? Um, I'm a mother. <laughs> How about that? I'll start with that. I'm a mother. I have two kids and uh, and a super busy life outside of work, I think, as as probably most people do. Um, but work-wise, I started my career in the 90s. I actually started at Dell Computers working in the operations side of the business. So I was in sales for a number of years, uh, got my feet wet in my first leadership job um, in my mid-20s at Dell and and learned a lot. Um, definitely kind of fly by the seat of your pants sort of a role and opportunity. And since then, I've really kind of grown up in this field of leadership development and talent management. So I've I've worked in industry for a number of years, and I've I've now been in uh, professional services, working with kind of literally thousands of leaders over the last probably ten or twelve years or so. So that's a bit about me. Awesome, thank Rick. you, Rick. So uh, I'm also I'm a father. So I have uh, two <laughs> I have two lovely daughters in their in their twenties who are just starting off their careers, which is interesting to to watch as a as a dad. Um, and uh, my background is I'm actually a psychologist by training. So I you know I did my PhD here at the University of Toronto in uh, educational and organizational psychology, and I've been uh, a career consultant. So unlike Christine, I you know I didn't grow up in a in a in a corporate environment. I grew up as a consultant. Uh, I've worked with uh, Fortune 500 organizations, both you know here in North America, but also globally. Um, I've worked with um, you know uh, large uh, uh, global consulting firms such as Corn Ferry and the Hay Group, um, and uh, you know serving as a senior client partner. I uh, ran the North American practice for uh, for Hay Group uh, a number of years ago, and um, and I also like to to write in the field as well. So prior to uh, you know roping Christine in into writing this book together, um, I've published in the Harvard Business Review and uh, other you know mainline journals, and uh, most of my work has really been around leadership development. I've always been interested in how leaders become leaders and how to accelerate their growth uh, as they move into leadership positions, and um, and have lots of hobbies. I have my telescope behind me, so I've been a lifetime astronomer. And uh, so uh, just always intellectually curious about a whole bunch of things. That's awesome. Um, I love that you have sort of the um, the psychology background and the corporate background coming together to look at 
this topic. I think it's uh, it's really interesting. My um, undergrad is actually in psychology, and I think that that has influenced sort of the lens through which I look at a lot of what's happening in the field service space over, I've, I've been doing this for 15 years, you know, so a lot of the evolution and change that's taken place, you know, when you talk with, with service leaders about, you know, what are their biggest challenges, it's almost always related to somehow to the people, right? So that's where the psychology piece comes in hugely and, and plays a big role. And of course, you know, within leadership itself, we've seen so much evolution as well. And, and we'll talk about some of that. So, you know, you both uh, obviously engage and interact with um, leaders across a big variety of industries. Um, and, and so when I'm curious, when you were at Field Service Palm Springs, and you gave that keynote, and you had an opportunity to listen to some of the other sessions and connect with some of the people there. Um, what stood out to both of you about the service leaders and sort of the state of their mindsets or our industry uh, as it is, um, you know, uh, just given the the perspective you both have? Yeah, I um, I mean, I guess I can start because I think we probably both have a perspective. I mean, you know, listen, that in truth, that was my first business trip um, since the pandemic. So we are still sort of in this interesting time. Um, and and so spending, you know, three or four days with with a group of literally hundreds of leaders was uh, almost felt foreign to me in in a in a weird sort of way. But I also craved it and truly enjoyed it. Um, I think what stood out like number one relationship completely rose to the surface. So not sure I expected that uh, quite truthfully. I think I expected more sort of like strangers coming together for a conference. And what I experienced was far different. It was very clear mm -hmm. that there were strong networks within this group, really strong relationship, a real desire and authenticity around connection and leveraging one another and learning from one another. Um, and that was incredibly refreshing to see. And as I sat through um, the sessions and listened to the speakers, you know, one thing that comes to mind is 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 innovation um, and just how innovative and and um, creative leaders are in this sector in particular um, in resolving the challenges that they have. So those are sort of the kind of quick thoughts around mm -hmm. what what rose to the surface. Rick, what do you uh, think? Yeah, I would completely agree. You know, for for me also, it was the first time really traveling traveling you know from Canada to the to the U.S. for for business. But just being in a room full of hundreds of people was you know kind of took you a bit aback, and you're rusty. I mean, you know, just learning how to interact with you know people who you know in a in large in a large setting was just it was kind of exciting, but also kind of you know. I wouldn't say anxiety provoking, it was just it was fresh and it was new. But the other thing that I was struck by because, you know, prior to the pandemic, like all of us, I mean, we traveled and, you know, went to conferences and, and attended business meetings. Um, I have to say that I was taken back just by the sort of the warmth and the the welcoming nature of the people at this conference. I mean, every conference has its different feel and every industry has its different feel. But I was really just struck by just how how kind and generous people were and how very much, uh, I think Christine used the word, maybe you didn't, but down to earth and genuine and authentic people were, um, which 
I really appreciate it. I mean, to me, there's nothing worse than, you know, having to, you know, pretend that you're somebody else for three days, um, you know, and putting on that kind of business face. I didn't feel we had to do that at all. I felt everybody that we met with, there was this kind of instant connection. You felt that you were connecting with people as individuals. Um, and uh, I, I just thought that it was lovely. I mean, I truly, I mean, I mean, it's quite genuinely, I just, I truly enjoyed the three days that we were down there. It was just not that we made friends, but I felt that I just spent time with just really nice people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear that because, um, you know, when I try and explain to someone how I happened upon a career in this space, you know, because it was never my intention. Like I, you know, I, it, it people on this podcast have heard the story before, but you know, I sort of happened into it with with really not the intent to stay for a long time, or certainly for, you know, my whole career, uh, but fell in love with it. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective, because, you know, that's a lot of why, right, that I kind of got hooked and and became very passionate about the opportunity in this space and the, the connections, the community, etc. was also nodding um, with uh, the the points you were bringing about it being your first trip, you know, since uh, COVID. I've been traveling now significantly for like the last two years, but I distinctly remember the first event I went to uh, after, you know, not traveling for a long time. And I remember walking into the room and thinking like, maybe I can't do this anymore. You know, like just because I, I loved it so much before. And it felt like you said, so foreign and like, uh, I did, I did feel like some anxiety. I was just like, I don't know if I can, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And obviously I, I came around, but, um, but yeah, so I'm glad you had a good uh, experience. Um, now, when we connected to prep for this podcast, um, I spoke with you about wanting to kind of focus on the topic of empowerment, because, you know, in field service, and I'm generalizing for the sake of of our conversation, but, you know, we're we're coming from a period where, you know, the frontline workforce had very um, technical sort of repeatable work, um, you know, and they were, uh, generally speaking, folks that were happy to come to work, do the same job, you know, every day for 10, 20 years at a time, uh, and leadership was, you know, aligned to that and and very much um, management, if you will, versus leadership. And and now we're at a point where, you know, that frontline role is is changing significantly to be one where, you know, we're expecting um, in different ways, but folks to engage a lot more with customers. And that, you know, brings about a lot of different needs. Um, and I think demands uh, leadership that, um, you know, versus management. Okay. So that's why I wanted to talk about that topic. But before we get into that specifically, you know, I know that um, part of what you both spoke about at the Palm Springs event was the overall shift in leadership um, since or as a result of the pandemic. So can we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you've seen and what you shared? Yeah. Um... I mean, I think, you know, Rick and I talk a lot about this um, in, in many ways that the pressures and the demands on leaders, I think, are higher than ever before. Uh, so it's it's returning to, you know, old service levels, but with fewer resources, you know, talent resources are are, are narrow and hard to find. Um, people are working in in weird environments, hybrid environments that they've never had to work in before. Um 
it's, I, you know, I think it's complex. And I think one of one of the kind of quick and easy observations that I would say is uh, leaders seem to be back into the weeds as a result. Um, and I think that's normal. And I think that's natural. I think what happens when we feel like we're in a crisis, kind of a, oh my gosh, how do I get out of this sort of an environment? Um, and it is a normal leadership style, right? When we're in a short-term crisis, we tend to get a little more command and control, or we tend to get a little more directive in our leadership. We tend to kind of get more involved and more engaged and to keep our arms wrapped around things and to keep it moving forward. I think the challenge right now is that environment has become almost a permanent state of operation. So where crisis used to kind of come and go, and we could sort of shift into that style and back out of it, now it's just here. And it's, it's just it's just here, right? And I think the word that we used when we were at the conference was permacrisis. We didn't invent that word. It's the Collins Dictionary 2022 word of the year. But it captures um, the state. I think the challenge for leaders is they've dipped back into these sort of, you know, back in the weeds, um, short-term kind of leadership styles. And truth, it's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable for them. It's not scalable for a business. And then when you talk about the shift that's happening at the front line, which to me, when I hear you talk about the shift, what it says to me is frontline people need to be more empowered um, and, you know, to kind of draw on their capabilities and exercise sound judgment and make better decisions and and connect and learn new skills. And I think if you've got kind of managers that have gone into crisis mode, you've it's like this vicious circle, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not um, we're not able to bring people along. Um, and, you know, we're experiencing this sense of burnout all at the same time. I don't know, Rick, if you would add anything. I mean, you and I have this conversation yeah. constantly because yeah. we're we're constantly talking to leaders. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that as you as you pointed out, Christine, that one of the consequences of living in this, you know, permanent state of crisis is that people don't get the opportunity. There's, there's a number of consequences. One obviously is burnout and exhaustion, but I I think that you know prolonged periods of stress. I mean, from a psychological standpoint, prolonged periods of stress are just bad for you. They're bad for you physically. They're bad for you mentally. And I think that one of the things that we also see is that not only are people exhausted and feeling the sense of burnout, but they're feeling kind of a disconnection from themselves. Um, They kind of show up every day, they go through what they need to do. um, But like there is there is this incredible sense, I think, of people feeling just drained and disconnected Mm -hmm. from, you know, from, you know, who they are and what it is that, you know, why it is that they do what they do. Um, They're kind of just always in this execution mode. And I think that, you know, one of the challenges is that increasingly, you know, people, you know, no matter where you are in an organization and no matter where you are in your life, you know, at some level, you have to have a sense of purpose. Um, this is funny. I just we just recently moved my mother into a retirement home. I know this is going to kind of go off to the side, but this is actually an important learning point. And yesterday I was I was there for dinner, and I there's a woman there who I've met a couple of times before. Who is she's like 86 years old. She is just full of beans, full of so much energy, and you know she she wanted to read to me um, a speech that she's going to be giving um, to you know a local synagogue on you know the power of resilience and the power of having a purpose she used to be a clown i mean that was her you know wow. part of her profession so just quite amazing and you know what was very clear to her says you know like the days to me just don't seem long enough i have so much that i have to do i feel there's so much that you know that needs to be done and i just love every day that i wake up and full of energy and i thought like this is the living embodiment of you know living with a sense of purpose and i think that 
you know, in the work environment, living in a sense of permacrisis is that what it's corrosive on our sense of purpose and, you know, on our sense of ability, not only to connect with ourselves, but to connect with others. And I do think that one of the things that we are seeing is that in this current state of permacrisis, you know, people are just, they're starved for stuff that feeds their soul. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, leaders play a critical role in creating the context of the environment whereby, you know, people feel that they can operate with a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that that is the major shift that, you know, a shift, but I think the major challenge that this um, that this creates for leaders is on the one hand, you know, management, the word management has its roots in, in, you know, using your hands. Mm -hmm. Management is about like task and it's about getting things done. But the roots of leadership is about um, a focus on the future. And no matter where you are in an organization, I mean, you got to manage the task, but you also got to, you have to focus on the future. There was one individual that we uh, met, I can't remember his name, but he talked about his approach to working with his staff of, you know, instead of setting annual goals, what they do is that they establish um, uh, resume building objectives. Mm -hmm. So what people are working on is, is like, it's not just about the tasks that you have to accomplish for the organization. It's about seeing how these tasks that you're accomplishing fit into, you know, your the broader purpose of your life and what it is that you're trying to achieve and how engaging and energizing that is for people. So I think helping leaders to shift from, you know, it's not just about the hands, it's not about managing the task because that in and of itself isn't going to get you what you need in the long mm -hmm. term in terms of engaging people and, and driving productivity forward. Yeah. There are so many points you made there that, um, that really resonated. So one thing I just thought of though, is, uh, just recently I, I recorded a podcast with a gentleman named Anthony Billups, who is with comfort systems. And we were, you know, talking about some of these things and just really, we were reflecting on some of the outdated thinking that can exist in our industry um, around talent, around leadership, around, you know, what customers want, a variety of things. And when we were talking about leadership, you know, he, I just love the way he put this is what, what we need to realize is leaders, leaders shouldn't care about their people eight hours a day, they should carry care about the 24 hour person. So this idea yeah. that and, and what you're saying with it, what made me think of that with the resume building versus goal setting is, it's not about what you can do for the company. It's about how can we make you better and more of what you want to be more fulfilled, etc. And <laughs> trusting that if leaders do that, it will also help the company, right? So, so looking at it less from the context of just, you know, their own agenda and more, you know, from the, the genuine place of care. Um, you know, so, so I think the other thing I loved, uh, that you said is, is about, um, the idea of people want more of what feeds their soul. And I think one of the learnings that I hope, um, you know, people take from this episode and, and other um, content that we're creating is, you know, in service, there's so many opportunities to give people that it's just not the context through which we've historically looked at, you know, what our goals are, or how we're interacting with our teams, right? It's because it has been very transactional, or very, you know, we had people that that were happy to just go, go fix this, great, come back, go to the next job, right? But 
Today, we have people that want more purpose, they want more fulfillment, and service is a world where there's so many opportunities to give them that we just need to look at things a bit differently. Um, So I love those points. There's two other themes um, that came up in your presentation that I want to make sure we we sort of uh, touch upon, and maybe we can split them up and one of you uh, can take each. Um, those are personal clarity and mindset traps. So can we talk about, you know, how you define those things and, and what it means to the work that you both do? Yeah, Rick, do you want to talk about personal care- clarity? I have some thoughts that I might add, but I, I know that's a topic of passion for you. <laughs> and- yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, the idea about personal clarity that we you know, that we spoke to is that, you know, all of the research for the last, like for the last probably 60, 70 years into, um, you know, what drives successful performance uh, is that, you know, we talk about this, this notion of organizational climate. I mean, climate is kind of the feel of the place and, you know, there's lots of, you know, tons and tons of research on the, on, you know, the dimensions of organizational climate and how creating the right climate as a leader uh, helps to drive uh, performance within a team, however you measure that performance. And one of the key dimensions of climate is this dimension of clarity. And clarity really is about two things. It's, it's about, first of all, uh, do people have, a, have, have clarity on where they fit in the bigger picture? So how does my daily contribution, you know, align with the goals of our team and the goals of the organization? And how does that, how does that contribute to society at large? So having clarity and having that line of sight is important. But equally important, too, is having clarity on lines of authority, like who do I go to? Uh, who are the key decision makers? How do I get things done? Um, and, you know, clarity is the most important dimension of climate. If you're lacking clarity in a team, um, nothing else matters because, you know, you've got just people who are showing up every day but are kind of operating in a vacuum. The, the old adage of, you know, I'm just, I just feel like I'm a cog in a wheel. That's that's really what it is. That's that's what lack of clarity gets you. And so, I think also that ambiguity creates anxiety for people, right? So yeah. then when you layer that, we are in this permacrisis landscape, right? It's creating, it's it's fueling this sense of anxiousness. Yeah, because you can't predict what's going to happen next. And that's, I mean, Christine talked about the word that we used around permacrisis is that, you know, you're constantly, it's, it's like the old psychology experiments of, you know, uh, you know, putting a dog in a cage and then, you know, shocking the bottom of the cage. And eventually the dog just lies down and just waits for the next shock to come because they can't do anything to control their, their environment. But, you know, the, the important aspect of clarity is, is that as a leader, your number one task is, is to create the context, to create that clarity for people, sometimes even in the absence of having clarity yourself. You know, just not having clarity because your boss isn't giving it to you doesn't excuse you from not creating clarity in your own team. And that's that's why leaders get paid what they get paid, right? Because your job is to create clarity for your team. But before you can create clarity in your team, you as a leader have to have clarity yourself. Right. You have to. It's kind of, you know, the old adage of putting on the um, the oxygen, you know, mask for yourself before you put it on for other people. So as a leader, you got to know, like, you know, you got to be able to answer the question of, you know, who am I as a person, and why do I choose to lead, and what is the impact that I choose to have through my leadership? If you can't answer those questions, you can't hope to create clarity for others. Okay, so I have a follow up question, and I'm trying not to come up with too many of these because I don't want to get us off track on on time and and everything, but 
So relating this back to the topic of empowerment. Okay. So I, first of all, I I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Like I said, I think a lack of clarity just fuels this, you know, um, this discomfort in people or anxiety in people. But what I'm curious about specifically when we're thinking about empowerment is knowing that, like you said, the, the number one objective needs to be creating this clarity. How do we make room within that clarity for creativity? Because I'm just thinking like another aspect of empowerment is that we aren't so rigid in our expectation or our defined clarity for people to not have that sense of ownership to, you know, be themselves, to weigh in, to, you know, to the extent that it's feasible and and realistic to solve problems on their own, to do things in what feels like their own way. So I'm just curious, like when we talk about the importance of creating clarity, how do we also as leaders, you know, leave room for and even encourage creativity? I have a thought on that. And and I feel like, Rick, we've talked about this before, but I think there's a difference between um, big picture clarity um, that creates parameters for people and guiding principles for how we make decisions um, and helps people understand in a clear way the context in which we operate and what's important to us and what value we're trying to create for our stakeholders, usually our customers, right? That's that's clarity to me. I think sometimes though, in a leadership capacity, we we confuse that with um, creating task clarity for people, which is much more directive and much more prescriptive. And I think, I think when we confuse that and we start to think that creating clarity for people is really about creating task clarity and being directive in that way, then we start to drive empowerment, innovation, creativity, being nimble, agile, having people who know how to think and make decisions like that starts to go away Mm -hmm. um, because we sort of teach people that, you know, if you wait long enough, I'll tell you exactly how to translate this big picture clarity into actions. I think it's important we set expectations for people, that people have clarity around what good looks like in their role um, and what sort of functionally they're accountable for and what's important in their role. But I think we just, we can't cross the line um, and invest all of our time in task clarity. That's where we get in trouble. Yeah. So maybe part of it is that that leaders can get confused or blur the line between sort of parameters and prescriptiveness, right? Um, That makes sense. And I I think, Sarah, it's a challenge in this industry in particular, because I think in this industry, not to say I hate generalizations and, and not to say this is true for everyone, but I think many folks in this industry have sort of risen through the ranks into leadership roles. And the challenge with that is you know, for most leaders in this sector, they're already expert at the jobs of their people. Um, and so it's very easy then to fall into, you know, this is how it needs to be done. This is how I, and into that task clarity because they actually know how to do the jobs. They've done the job. Um, yeah. And so I think it's it's an extra big challenge and an extra big sort of self-management um, opportunity for leaders in this sector to kind of stay up and stay up in the, in the purpose uh, kind of clarity as opposed to, as opposed to task. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I think it's a totally different conversation. Maybe one we can have you back to talk through, but, you know, I know many leaders um, in 
this space who have risen through the ranks that are phenomenal leaders, um, phenomenal. But we also, I think, as an industry, uh, and really just in general across the board, have to be very careful of, you know, the go-to way to acknowledge someone's um, excellence as an individual contributor is to make them a manager and a leader, right? And not everyone is built for that. So I think when we're talking about a landscape where leadership is equally important or in some ways maybe more important than management, we need to make sure that we're, you know, not promoting just anyone um, to those roles and also that we're, you know, putting the time, effort and money into, you know, training and ongoing development of our leaders because we acknowledge how, you know, critical that that role is. Um, But it's a really good point that when they know the job intimately, they might be more inclined to say, you know, and do this, this and this, right? Um, Okay, Rick, can you talk a little bit or wait, who was going to talk about mindset traps? Sorry, I got us off. I can talk. Yeah, okay. no, it's okay. I can talk to mindset traps. I feel like it's like my favorite. Uh, I feel like it's my favorite topic of conversation. Um, <laughs> probably because I, I get caught in them true too. Um, but you know what? There's some common ones um, that really stand out. And I know Rick and I, you know, we we work with leaders in all capacities, right? So whether it's one-on-one coaching, you know, we do intact team coaching for kind of executive leaders. Um, and then we do leadership development programming. And it doesn't matter in what, what context we work. There's some mindset or thinking traps that tend to rise to the surface that I think are problematic. Um, one of them is actually um, just that very simple mindset of, you know, I'm only adding value when I'm getting stuff done. And, and I think that that is problematic, right? Because, you know, if I'm only adding value when I'm getting stuff done, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's management you know, at the most, but it's certainly not leadership. Leadership is, yes, it's about driving results, but it's not about checking things off a list and bringing things to completion. And I think where that gets leaders in trouble is, you know, when they, when they've got capacity to actually sit and kind of think and reflect and do the kind of thinking that would allow them to create clarity and sort of empower people in their environment, they, they have this feeling often of like guilt or like not knowing what to do with that time because it feels like I'm not creating value for the organization. So that's one that rises to the surface. Um, one of the other ones that rises to the surface, and it's funny because I just had a conversation with a CEO yesterday about this um, in a different sector, but it's this... Um, it's this kind of notion of like, you know, I get something from my people. It's not really the way I wanted it, or it doesn't quite meet my expectations. And it's this mindset trap of like, well, you know, I give feedback is just faster if I do it myself. Um, and surely, you know, they ought to know after I've done it myself and, and kind of shown them what it was supposed to look like, surely they ought to know <laughs> how to do it right the next time. And surely I've created clarity around what my expectations are. And I think that is, um, it's flawed thinking. I think it's a common mindset trap. And I think it gets us into this place where people start to take shortcuts in their work because they become dependent on their leader to kind of fix it and bring it to completion. And it's it's problematic for a bunch of reasons, you know, not the least of which it erodes role clarity. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, people kind of at the front line start to believe that my role is to bring it like 70% of the way there and my leader will bring it the other 30%. Um, and it continues to pull leaders back down into the weeds. Um, it feels good. Yeah, I was, 
I was also thinking like thinking about empowerment again, that could create resentment in the sense of, okay, well, you want me to do this, then you step in and do it. So just do it anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, right. You said you trusted me, but so rather than a teaching moment of, you know, let's try this, or have you thought about this or, you know, whatever it's, you know, when you just step in and finish it or redo it or do it yourself, you know, it's working against the idea of empowering people to, you know, improve and and have that sense of ownership. Yeah. And I think we leave a lot to implied, right? Like if I think of the CEO that I was speaking with yesterday, um, the individual, you know, said to me, actually gave me an example and said, you know, I have this like stuff that somehow ends up on my desk and I'm, you know, at eight o'clock at night after dinner with my family, I'm like, I'm editing it. And I said, well, why do you do that? I, I mean, I can't imagine as the CEO of a large organization that you're creating value for the organization by actually editing like grammar and spelling and how things are written at eight o'clock at night. And the individual said like, well, you know, I'm not, but it comes to me with all these mistakes. I said, well, you know, have you ever like actually pushed it back to people to say, you know, I expect by the time it lands on my desk, it's kind of like 98% of the way there that I'm, I'm not editing. You know, the only value I'm creating is more around point of view. And I think too, response, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's, her response was, you know, well, I send it back to them. Surely they ought to know. That's where the mindset trap is, right? Yeah. It's in this, it's in this implicit feedback that we're giving as opposed to explicit mm-hmm. and in kind of explicit sort of resetting expectations around what you're accountable for, what right looks like, um, you know, as opposed to just sort of like taking what feels like the faster road to getting the result we want, which usually the faster road is, I'll just fix it myself. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's not yeah. only a mindset trap, but it's also just habit because it's like, totally. it is faster and easier a lot of times to do fix something yourself or do something yourself than it is to teach, enable yeah. and empower people to do it. But, yeah. you know, that's, and yeah. I think these thinking traps do create habit right? Mm-hmm. Like these thinking traps become deeply ingrained. Um, you know, we sort of like, we, we believe they're true. We never challenge whether they're true or not. And they just ingrain um, habits um, and sort of almost belief systems, um, you know, of what's true as opposed to sort of challenging it, really challenging, you know, kind of putting the mirror back on ourselves and saying, if I'm not getting what I need here, what aspect of how I'm showing up um, and what I'm reinforcing or not reinforcing is getting in the way of bringing people along. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, I think if you just told people what you needed from them, I think most people are experienced as they rise to the occasion, mm-hmm. um, or they at least try, right? People don't wake up in the morning and think, how can I, you know, how can I mess up my job today? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. right. So, so those are, I mean, those are the big ones for me. I don't know, Rick, if you'd add anything to that. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I would say is that there's an, there's a very big emotional component to all of this that tends to drive behavior that we tend not to pay attention to. And I think, as you said earlier, Christine, that, you know, many of the many, many folks in field services did rise through the ranks and they rose through the ranks because they were good at getting stuff done. Um, You know, in in our language, we say that they're very achievement driven. You know, they get a lot of satisfaction out of being able to set, you know, set goals and solve complex problems and then, you know, kind of to be able to, to get things done through their own efforts. And that's deeply satisfying. The challenge is that when you move into these leadership positions is that you have to draw upon kind of a different 
well of emotion, which isn't so much driven out of a need for achievement. It's more driven out of what we would call a need for power and influence. So it's not so much that, you know, I get satisfaction out of getting things done myself. I get satisfaction out of being able to elevate others mm-hmm. to get things done. And that's actually, it's a, that draws from a very different kind of motive. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for leaders often to kind of make, not just make sort of the intellectual shift, but make that emotional shift. Um, because part of it is, is that, you know, habits are fueled because like they feel good, right? Yeah. Like we keep feeding them because it's, it's satisfying just to roll up our sleeves and get things done. Yeah, we don't have time to get into this. So I'm going to say this question, but we're not actually answering it. But then I think about what you just said, Rick, and power and influence sounds very, especially power sounds very risky to me. Because Mm -hmm. then I think you kind of go in the other direction, equally, equally um, risky for empowerment of ego, right? So then it becomes not taking satisfaction in achieving, but taking satisfaction in telling people what to do, but also not empowering them or really leading, which, you know, right. seems like it would be also a big problem. Again, we'll have to come back to that because Christine's um, uh, <laughs> like, no, we will not. I'm like, no, we won't. We got to come back to it now. In 20 seconds or left, less just because I don't want to leave you hanging on the word power. Um, because I think, Rick, you did the the short version, the, the the slightly longer version is there's two different kinds of power. One is socialized, the other is personal. So when we talk personalized power, that's a little bit more, I think, what you were sort of talking mm-hmm. about, Sarah, around kind of ego and status and like, you know, where do I stand in the system? Socialized power is different. Socialized power is that, you know, that desire to create positive impact for others. Um, because it empowers them to be more capable and creates more that when Rick talks about power and influence, that's the version of power that he's really talking about is drawing on, on that component, um, of ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, but it just reinforces the importance of people having the education and the coaching, because if you just say like, well, you need to exercise more power and that's left to interpretation. You know, some people, even when the intent is good, can think of that as, okay, I need to be more directive versus I need to, you know, build better teams and et cetera. Okay. There's two more questions, at least we'll say two, two more questions I want to make sure we get to. The first is um, thinking about empowerment. We already talked about why that's important for a lot of leaders in our space. So empowerment, uh, nurturing a sense of ownership among teams. what works? Okay. I, I, you know, I have a, I don't know, I have a strong perspective on this one um, in terms of what I think leaders can do. And it's going to sound like a little trite, but I think, you know, if you're going to empower people, so we talked about a bunch of things, right? Like clarity and, and sort of big picture and make people understand the context and what's important. I think the other missing ingredient that we haven't really talked about is um, leaders need to have um, an incredibly strong um, learning and growth orientation and, and and mindset around that. And that has to be part of the impact they seek to create in terms of the climate and the environment they create for their people. Because I think what happens is, um, you know, most of us are wired. Uh, um, it's like instant gratification, right? So you assign me a task. I got my task done great. And now I'm moving on to the next one. And so we sort of, you know, people um, sort of bounce back and forth, right? 
check this one off the list. I'm going to move to my next task. I'm going to check that one off the list. I'm going to move to the next one. And that is the opposite of a learning and a growth mindset. And when we, when we lead in a fast paced environment and we're driving for performance and results, that can sometimes be really attractive. I've got people who get stuff done and they move on where leaders, I think can be stronger on empowerment is, is being more patient around learning and creating you. I think you actually have to actively create the learning environment. Um, do you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. it's almost like I hate to use the word imposing, but it's it's still early in the morning, and I can't think of a different word right now. But you've got to impose <laughs> reflection on people, and there's some real simple questions. I mean, it's quite systematic, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. reflect back on the experience, what worked, what mm-hmm. didn't work, what can we do better next time. I mean, that's not that's not rocket science. We're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah, it's just you know, leaders, you know, when we don't do that, our people don't naturally do it on their own either. Mm -hmm. And so they don't get kind of smarter and more capable and they're not, they're not improving their judgment and decision-making skills. And then how, how can you be empowered? I think it's, I think it's prioritize and protect, right? Because it's, it's prioritizing it because we know it's important. It's protecting it because everyone's busy And so it's really easy to let those opportunities slide and just get consumed with moving on to the next thing. But when you brought this topic up, Christine, what it makes me think of is we talked about permacrisis, right? Which for better or worse is makes me think it's dynamic. It's constantly changing. So when we as leaders or with our teams allow ourselves to become static in a dynamic environment, where we're not evolving along with, you know, the the continually evolving landscape and circumstances, it's a problem, right? And so it's, um, I think it's a really good point that, you know, we need to be, leaders need to be taking that time for themselves, as you mentioned earlier, and not feeling guilty for it, or like frozen with what the heck do I do with this white space I put on my calendar? And then making sure they do the same with with their teams. So Rick, anything else you want to add? Or also the other question is sort of looking at what are the common missteps that leaders make when they're aiming for empowerment, but then what happens when they're maybe falling short? So you can weigh in on either of those or both. Yeah, well, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I I think that the the point around creating an environment for learning is absolutely critical. And I would say that, you know, as leaders, one of your roles is to push people out of their comfort zone. Because if you're not, you know, people aren't developing new capacity and you're not increasing capacity within your team. So, you know, I think some of the best practices that we've seen are leaders who, um, you know, actively are thinking about, you know, what are the stretch opportunities that they can provide for their people, um, but also providing a safety net so that people can learn from their mistakes. Um, and I think that in, you know, permacrisis environments, you know, leaders are more and more reluctant to do that. But in mm-hmm. fact, you have to do it if you ever want to increase capacity in your team, but you have to do it for yourself as well. So learning how to be uncomfortable. I mean, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. And I think mm-hmm. that creating that as a value within a team is important. Um, so I would say that, you know, 
for leaders to think about how they can create an environment whereby people can feel supported when in their own growth and development, I think is, is key. And I would say in terms of missteps, I mean, you know, one of the biggest missteps are is, you know, first of all, for leaders not to be pushing themselves to be growing and learning and, and experiencing new things, um, but also, you know, not encouraging uh, an environment where people can um, use failure as an opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when we think about the changes in talent, right. And again, I mean, it's hard to do that without generalizing, but I think going back to Rick, some of the points you made earlier about a sense of purpose and, you know, experiences that fuel someone's soul, you know, for a lot of um, today's workforce, that is tied to those opportunities for growth and learning and, you know, not feeling that they're stuck or staying still. So in a lot of ways, when we can figure out how to get it right, it's mutually beneficial, right? Because it's, you know, um, it's good leadership, it's serving a purpose for the organization, but it's also helping those people, you know, ideally be more satisfied in their roles and, and hopefully, you know, stay part of the team longer because they're getting those opportunities with your organization versus, you know, feeling complacent or bored and wanting to go seek them somewhere else. Um, so, you know, on the flip side, some of the, you know, um, more long-term workers where you might be pushing them a little bit more, you know, you might also have team members who are very welcoming of that and, and you have to strike that balance. Um, okay. So in terms of, um, missteps or best practices or really anything else, uh, any sort of final points or thoughts before we close? You know, for me, I guess my final thought is, is overcorrecting. That's a misstep, right? So sometimes we, you know, we, we make a decision like, you know, we want to change our leadership in a certain way and it's almost, we overcorrect, we swing the pendulum (laughs) from one side to the other. Um, and it's, it's too drastic. It's not sustainable. It's, it's hard. I think it's, you know, leadership comes from, from these small new actions and habits and really taking the time to embed those new habits and understand their impact and sort of iterate them as we go, as opposed to making these broad reaching, you know, massive goals in our leadership that are, that are just hard mm-hmm. for us to, uh, to, to swing to that other side. Yeah. And I would say that the, the sort of building on that is, is the, big misstep is not creating the spare capacity for yourself and for others because learning and growth can't come when you know you're 120 percent over capacity and so you know it's a bit of a red herring to say you know we simply don't have the time like Mm -hmm. you'll never have enough time but you have to be you have to be i think intentional and deliberate about creating that space where you can take the time to breathe, you can take the time to push people, you know, to, you know, to to learn and to grow, um, and take the time for yourself to, you know, for that important self reflection mm-hmm. um, to help you to continue grow and develop as, a, as an individual and as a leader. I think what might might make for a really interesting follow up discussion, if you guys were, in, um, you know, willing to come back, is. This idea of, Christine, you mentioned overcorrecting, and I think also sometimes people think it's one or the other. So, I mean, to put it simply, I'm going to say management or leadership, right? Like we talked about those things being distinct or, you know, directive or empowering, however we want to define it. But, you know, having a conversation around the fluidity between those things and knowing, you know, the appropriate times to transition or switch or what that can look like for different leaders. I think that would be really interesting. 
Um, but I could go on forever. I've already taken more of your time today than I was supposed to. Um, so really appreciate that. Can you tell, uh, our listeners where they can find, um, the book and also, uh, connect with you if they would like to? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's super easy. Um, the website is just once upon a leader.com. So once upon a leader.com and you've got information about the book and it's also a way of reaching out to, to me or Rick. And then of course, you know, the, the, the obvious one would also be LinkedIn, um, to reach out to us directly. Excellent. I'll make sure to uh, link the website um, in the show notes. Um, and everyone, please go have a look uh, and and get the book, have a read. And then, you know, would love to have you both back uh, again in the future if we can. So great. thank you so much for your time and for the great conversation. Thanks, Thanks Sarah. Sarah. We'd love to come back. So mm-hmm. we thank look you. forward to that. That sounds good. <laughs> You can learn more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. While you're there, be sure to register for the Future of Field Service Insider so you can stay up to date on our latest content. We also have one more Future of Field Service live tour event left for 2023 in Stockholm on October 10th. So if you're in or near that area and would like to join us, please register for that. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.